I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn in the book of Nehemiah to chapter 11 this morning. Nehemiah chapter 11. In my Bible, it's uh, 407. If you're using the Pew Bible, it should be page 407 as well. We are uh, getting very close to the end of our study of Nehemiah. Let me remind you why we've been doing this. It's been a couple weeks since I was here, so I just want to remind you. Nehemiah provides for the church a plan for building. How does God want the church to be built together? Uh, It also gives a pattern for leadership. It it shows us the way that leaders in God's church, uh, how they should function, how they should act, the character that they should have. And then it also gives the promise of victory. It teaches us that, that God is going to have the victory, that nothing will stand in his way. Uh, and that point is the one that I think we see most clearly in today's, uh, in today's uh, passage. Now, this is two, let's see, yeah, two whole chapters of the book of Nehemiah, and it's a lot of names once again. What I want to do, I'm going to read a portion of this, uh, and I'm going to skip, let's see, I'm going to read uh, 11, 1 through 3, and then I'm going to skip to... Uh, Let's see, verse 25. Uh, I'll let you know when I do this, and then I'm going to skip uh, to verse 27 and read through the end there. So it's a good bit still for us to read, um, but I'm going to skip most of the names that are hard to pronounce. So here God is God's good and kind word for you. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, uh, in their towns, Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and the sons of Benjamin, of the sons of Judah, Athiah, the son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Shephatiah, son of Mahalalel, the sons of Perez, and Messiah, the son of Baruch, the son of Colhoez, son of Hazaiah, son of Adiah, son of Jorib, the son of Zechariah, the son of uh, the Shilonite. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. Now skip to verse 25. And as for the villages with their fields, some of the people of Judah lived in Kiriath Arba and its villages, and in Debon and its villages, and Jechazabel and its villages, and in Jeshua and in Moladah and in Beth Pellet. And then on down to the end, many of the villages uh, that are mentioned in Jerusalem and Judah and the surrounding countryside is where they lived. Now turn to verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 27. 12, 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophonites, also from Beth Gilga and the region of Geba and Asmareth, and for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. 
And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates of the wall. Then I brought up the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah. And Azariah, Ezra, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests' sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mathaniah, son of Machiah, son of Zechur, son of Asaph, and his relatives. Shemaiah, Azarel, Melai, Gil, Eli, Maiai, Nethianal, Judah, and Hanai. With the musicians, instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra the scribe went before them at the fountain gate. They went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir, those who gave thanks, went to the north, and I followed with them half the people on the wall to the tower of ovens to the broad wall. Skip down to verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding this word. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for giving us uh, this message today. We thank you that all of your word is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuke and correction and encouragement and training for righteousness. We pray, Lord, that you would use uh, this word for our edification, for the glory of your Son, so that we might know him better. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, What this passage does for us, and all those names and all the things that are hard to pronounce and all that, uh, it's another list that we see again, and Nehemiah is fond of lists for very important reasons. Uh, But the thing that we see here that often gets missed in the list and the details of the names is is the big picture. And that's what we see in this passage, the the really big picture of what God has been doing throughout history. So uh, first of all, we're going to look at this and look at God's faithfulness to his people. That's going to be the first point. Secondly, we're going to see God's people's response, how they respond to God's faithfulness, and then thirdly, God's ultimate goal, what he does, uh, what, he, what he wants for his people ultimately. So first of all, God's faithfulness. We have another list of names, almost two full chapters of name after name after name. Well, well what do we do? What do we do with these names? Uh, a few years ago, I, w- I became interested in, in my family and, and how I got the name Dotson. I may have shared this with you before, but... Uh, the last name Dotson, it's a weird last name because uh, think about the last name Johnson, all right? The son of John, okay? Um, Dawson doesn't really work, right? Dawson is a lot like Dotson, the son of Daw. Who was Daw, right? <laughs> dot, who was Dot? Who was the first Dot that came along? Well, I did some history and found out that, that the name Dotson actually comes from the Dodds, D-O-D-D-S, that somewhere along the line, someone in my family was illiterate, and when they had to go write down their name, they didn't know how to do it, and so it got changed. So I am actually related to all of the Dodds, and it goes all the way back to the original founding of the United States to Jamestown, and one of the original founders was Charles Dodd, and my family comes from that. Really interesting, right? Whenever we want to know about our family, we go to our family line, we go to our genealogy, and 
What is that but a bunch of names? Well, here we have a bunch of names, names that are uh, familiar to the Israelite people, names that they would have held in high regard. And what are they doing with all of these names? They are marking their history. And it's, re- it's important for us to remember the history of God's people, to remember the big picture. And, and in order to do that, you have to go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. In Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, and God creating the world and making everything and filling the world and declaring that all of it was good. And then bringing a man and a woman together and telling them to be fruitful and multiply. And then the tragic story of Genesis 3 with with them falling into sin and falling out of the grace of God because they were disobedient to God. And yet, Genesis 3.15, God promised that he would save a people for himself. And, and the question from Genesis 3.15 on is, how is God going to do it? How will God save a people for himself? Well, throughout the book of Genesis, and especially when you get to Abraham, what you find out in Genesis 12 is that God is going to save a people through one family. That God has decided to work in and through families. Now we tend to think that if there's going to be anything good that happens, that it's going to be through some other institution that, that, well, nobody in this room I'm sure thinks the government is going to solve anybody's problems. But whole groups of people think that the government will solve the problems of the world. And, And other people will look to other institutions Uh, to solve the problems of the world. And God says, you know, the one institution that's going to solve all the problems of the world, it's going to be the family. And in Genesis chapter 12, on through uh, the rest of the Old Testament, we see that God has chosen one family, Abraham's people, to be the family that he works through. And he will bring about salvation through that family. Well, Well, Genesis chapter 12, how many children does Abraham have? He has zero children. You go on for a few chapters and God continues to promise that he's going to have children, so many children that he won't be able to number them. And then you get to chapter 18 and he still only has one illegitimate son and you're thinking it can't happen. God will not provide for his people. God will not save a people through this family. And then he provides a son, Isaac. And then to Isaac, you know how many children he gives? He gives two sons. And you're thinking, one son, two sons? It's not going to happen. And then all of a sudden, Isaac, or I mean Jacob, Isaac's son, has 12 sons. And then from that 12 sons, 400 people come. And then 400 people move into Egypt. And then a few hundred years later, there are millions of people that have come out of Egypt. And then they go into the promised land. And then in the promised land, this one family continues to grow and be fruitful and multiply, except that they become disobedient to God. They begin to break his covenant. And it looks like God is going to have to wipe his people out again. But he has promised to save a people through this one family. And in Nehemiah chapters 11 and 12, the listing of this name is the reminder that God is not done with this family. That he still saves a people and they are here. And because God has established them, they are not going anywhere. They're reminded here that through their thousands of years of history, they have been disobedient over and over and over. But God has been faithful to his promise. They do not deserve the goodness of God. And yet, here they are in Jerusalem enjoying all the things that God has promised to give him. They deserve wrath, but they get grace and mercy. God has not failed his people. 
And here's the thing for us, that we can look back and we can look, look, look at that and say, well, yeah, what does that have to do with us? Well, you understand that for everyone that is called by the name of Christ, that has faith in Christ, you have been grafted in and adopted into the family of Abraham so that your name is the same as, as Abraham's name. And God still works in and through our families. Here's the great thing about God's promise of his faithfulness, that he works in covenant with families. And you look around at your family and you go, well, yeah, but, but my family's a wreck. My family is a mess. There are a few things that I was not expecting uh, when I became a father. And there are very few things. Uh, the first thing I wasn't expecting that lots of people told me about, but I wasn't expecting, that it was going to be a lot of fun. I didn't know. I just I had no clue that it was going to be so much fun to have children in the home to, to play with. And when I get home, Alexander runs to me and he goes, Daddy, and I feel like a superhero. That is fun. I wasn't expecting that. I didn't realize just how great that was. But also, I wasn't expecting the helplessness that you feel as that little boy is running to me saying, Daddy, and he thinks I'm a superhero and I can't live up to that. I can't do it for him. I'm helpless. I, Amy and I have routines where we, we put Tiger to bed and we, we sit with him and we pray with him and we just love on him and, and we pray, Lord, save this child because we can't do it. The good thing is that God has promised to work in and through families to save our children because we can't do it. If we're in covenant with God, our children are also in covenant with God. God still works in and through families and the good news is He's not done with your family yet. He's not done with your family yet. That's the first thing we see. Secondly, we see God's people's response. They, they are experiencing the overwhelming grace of God and they are experiencing all the things that God has, has given them in His goodness and His kindness. And what flows out of that? They respond in a certain way. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. So the leaders were already living in Jerusalem, but it was a fairly large city that could probably house about 50,000 people at this point. But the leaders of the people, maybe only 5,000 people lived in the city. It was like a ghost town. Okay, So all the leaders are there, and then this is what they decide. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring out one of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So get the picture of what they did. They were living in their, um, in their, on their land, on their property. They were living on their family land, working it, tending it. No one wanted to live in the city of Jerusalem because it was in shambles. Why would you want to move to the city? Some of you, some of you have said things like that to me today. Why would you ever want to live in a big city? And yet, they recognize that for the proper function of the city, for, not just for the proper function of the city, but for the proper worship of God, Jerusalem had to be filled. And so they willingly submitted themselves to be relocated for the sake of God. Now, we constantly have to be reminded of something, that, that we don't give to God, we don't sacrifice our things, we don't 
I, I say this every time we take up an offering. We don't do that to try to get God in our favor. We, we do not believe that the gospel is we do good and God is happy with us. That is not the good news. That is actually bad news. We believe that we are saved only by the finished work of Christ, his good work for us. Through faith in him is applied to us and therefore we have salvation. Good works has never saved anyone. We do not believe in good works for salvation. But we do believe that as Christians we are asked by God and required to do good things as a response to what he has done for us. There's another way to put it. We are expected to live with the name of Christ in his family. Growing up, at one, there was only one time my dad did this, and I know I've told you this story, but I, I was cheating on my homework, and my dad caught me. He caught me cheating, and he said, we are Dotsons, we do not do this. And then I remembered bits and pieces of my family where I said, we come from thieves, horse thieves, and murderers, of course we do this. I learned in that moment not to say that sort of thing to my dad and learn because I was a Dotson, there were things that were expected of me. You understand that in your families. The same thing is true of being in Christ and his family. Things are expected of us. What is expected? Uh, well, here they make a drastic sacrifice, don't they? They leave their homes to go live somewhere else. They are uprooted and they willingly go and live. That's an incredible sacrifice. What if you came to church today and I'd say, oh, sorry, you gotta, you got to move to Baton Rouge. <laughs> Can't live here anymore, right? Give it all up, go to Baton Rouge. Y'all would walk out the door and say, no, we're not doing it. Well, uh, I don't think the application for us is to all pick up and move from, from this area and move into Baton Rouge. That's not the application. But what we see from God's people is this. Jerusalem is a mess. It's some place that everyone else would run away from, but God's people, instead of running away from messes, they run to the mess. Um, the Marines have an incredible campaign right now that every time I see it, I want to join up with the Marines. Don't worry, Amy, I'm not going to do it, but I want to. And it's, it opens up, the, the commercial opens up with a man, and he is running toward a dust cloud. He is running toward it. He's in his military gear, and he looks behind him, and when he looks behind him, he sees all of his fellow Marines running toward that same dust cloud. You don't know what's back there. But the question is, do you run away from trouble, or do you run to it? We're looking for men that run to the dust cloud. We're looking for men that will run to the mess. And that's what it is that Christians do. We are not a people that retreat from the mess. We, we run to it. We are the first responders that God uses to go and treat the mess of the world. So here's some ways that we can do that. Just some very simple ways. Again, not asking you to pack up and move, right? But, but some ways that you can run toward the mess of this world. How about this? Give time to lonely and needy people around you. You know, we kind of sense loneliness. We, we have this sense, and you can't identify it, but you can tell when someone's lonely, and we just kind of, oh, I don't need that, because lonely people are going to take our time. God's people are called to go toward those that are lonely and not run away from them. Uh, there was a man named Daniel uh, that I knew in college. Uh, he was paranoid schizophrenic. 
He was um, uh, had a whole host of, of other problems, things that, that present themselves in, in young men a lot of times when they get to college. Um, and he was in he was part of our ministry at college because he he couldn't find anywhere else to go. And so he came to our ministry, he he showed up. And no one sat by him. Nobody wanted to be around him. He was awkward. He tried to go up to people. And and in his awkwardness, he would overcompensate. And so whenever he would laugh, he would laugh really loud. And people would just kind of back away. Well, it came time for summer conference. And uh, Keith Berger, our um, campus minister, said, Kelly Daniel signed up for summer conference. I said, okay, great. He goes, Kelly, I want you to take Daniel to summer conference. I want him to ride in the car with you. And then he said, and I also want you to take three other guys that were the lonely guys that no one else could be around. And I was like, Pete, I don't, I don't want to take these guys to summer conference. Six hours in a car. And then once we get there, they're not going to know what to do. And then I'm going to have to be with them the whole time. And then six hours in the car on the way home. I want to meet people, right? I want to talk to people. And these guys are going to run everybody away. Well, he said, Kelly, if you don't do it, nobody else is going to. Have you ever been loved by anybody? He, he asked me that. Have you ever been truly loved? Yeah, people have been kind and nice. He said, well, that's all I'm asking you to do. Be kind and nice. We got in the car. We started driving two hours into the trip. I'm going, oh, nobody's talking. One guy never took headphones off. This is before people wore headphones. He wore them because things were so loud. He had to keep the noise down, right? We're in the car, and I'm like, ah, somebody passes us. And I shake my fist, just kind of being silly, ah! And I'm like, giving them the, 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 the fist of wrath. And Daniel's sitting next to me, because the fist, fist of wrath, what, what's that? And I said, you know, when somebody makes you mad, you shake your fist at them. And so every car from that point on that, that would pass us, even if, even if I was passing them, he began to give the fist of wrath. And I was like, Daniel, what in the world is happening? And then about three and a half hours into the trip, everyone in the car, would, they were passing, giving the fist of wrath. Um, one of the other group, people that were in the group with us that were passing us, um, they kind of passed us. And Daniel turned and looked, and they swerved because they saw Daniel's face giving the fist of wrath. And they said, we thought something was really wrong in your car. So what's the point of the story? We did. We got to the beach, and Daniel never left my side. And all these other guys, we, we, we laughed, we joked, we had fun. And I learned something in that moment that, that I needed them just as much as they needed me, right? I needed to get out of my bubble of thinking I was so great and special and realized that I, we all just need to be loved. Um, it's just an encouragement to you that what happens whenever you move toward people that are lonely is they stop being lonely. And then they learn to move toward other people. And Daniel ended up growing in relationships because of, in that way. It's just an encouragement for you to do the same thing. You and I need to start taking emotional risks. We need to recognize that we are going to be hurt by other people because people are messy. People are hard to be around, and we need to be willing to take emotional risks, understanding that you might get hurt. It might be hard for you, but things are going to be okay because Christ has already given you everything that you need. There's also a way for us to do this. We can give generously from the things that God has given us. We can give generously of our money, sure, yes, but we can give generously of our time and not just try to hold on to it and say, this is my time, I'm going to do what I want, but to give 
for his sake, because God has given to you everything that you need in his son, Jesus Christ. Why do we love? We love first because he has loved us. So the question is, are you doing those things? Are you sacrificing those things because you've seen and experienced the love of Jesus Christ? Maybe we're a church that don't, we don't do those things very well because we haven't truly experienced the love of Jesus Christ for us. Finally, one more thing, God's goal. Um, in this chapter, what we see <coughs> is the dedication of the wall. Uh, we see this weird parade happening where Nehemiah separates the people into two groups and they start um, from the south and from the north and then they walk toward the center of the city and they meet in the middle, basically where the temple is. They dedicate the wall. They dedicate the temple. They dedicate themselves to the service of the temple. And the whole point that God was doing in this, and it's a point that we've seen before, is to restore his worship. Because Jerusalem and the temple and the nation of Israel was all for the sake of telling everyone else in the world, all of the other nations about Yahweh, about his goodness, about his grace and mercy, so that the whole world was filled with the glory of God, so that everyone would worship And the reality is for us is that we're no longer worshiping in a specific building. You recognize that this building could go away, it could burn to the ground, and guess what we would do next Sunday? We would have worship. We would maybe meet outside for worship because the building does not matter. It's nice to have a building where I can tell somebody to turn the air conditioner on, but we don't need it for worship. As a matter of fact, sometimes the building distracts from our worship. Worship is about Jesus Christ. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets the woman at the well, and he tells her, I'm looking for people who worship in spirit and in truth, and that's what we do. We worship Jesus Christ because he is the true temple. And the church exists, this church exists, to give you what you really ultimately need. We are not a church that's a social gathering for you, although it's great to be here with everyone on a Sunday morning and to find out what's going on in your lives and to get together. But we're not just about being a social gathering. We're not uh, a civic organization that is built around doing good things for others, although we can do good things for others and we need to be doing good things for others. The main purpose, God's main goal for us is to be a community of people that worship. It's too easy to forget why we exist. And churches all over the world are forgetting that they exist for what we are doing right here, right now. The worship of Jesus Christ. Now here's what happens whenever the church operates that way. Whenever the church does what the church is supposed to do. When the church rightly worships Jesus Christ under the word of God. In verse 43 of chapter 12. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard from far away. Read that and it kind of stuck with me. The joy of Jerusalem was heard from far away. They were so happy because God had filled them with his joy. That they, the party could be heard from miles and miles around. And I wonder if... We're so filled with the joy of Jesus Christ that anybody knows it. 
you go to work tomorrow? Does anybody know that your life has been radically transformed by the finished work of Jesus Christ? And not because you have to tell him over and over, but because your life is so filled with joy that it just comes out of you that everyone knows it. Or are you bitter? Are you angry because life isn't going the way that you thought it should? Is it, are you filled with joy or are you filled with bitterness? It'll be evident in you if you're filled with joy. Well, that's all I have today. Next week we're going to look at when things go bad, when things go wrong. But for today, let's just be reminded of this, that Jesus Christ is for you. God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That he is not finished with us or our families. That he is still working to save a people and to call a people to himself through faith in Jesus Christ. We are a community that is built about his worship. About experiencing the joy of Christ. I hope that you found it. I hope that the Spirit has given it to you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this word today. We pray that you would encourage us with it. Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, we pray that you would do the work of transforming them, that you would give them uh, the joy of their heart. For those of us that know you, Father, we pray that you would fill us once again with that joy, that we would be a people who are about the joy of Christ. Lord, we need help in that because there are so many things in this world that distract us from your glory. Fill us with yourself. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.